So good morning. That's pretty good. You guys are being quite enthusiastic here. Uh, would you tell Christopher one more time, thank you? I mean, as I uh, heard him thank you, as I, as I hear him, his, his joy is truly contagious. And it's, it's the real deal. And what an appropriate thing for us to be celebrating that, that freedom on a, on a weekend like this. Now, I'm not as free as I usually like to be. I'm going to be sitting some. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I told you about my femur being fractured. It still is, it's healing, but they've said stay off it. I won't stay off of it quite as much today, but the camera guys still do like me not roaming around uh, as much, but that's why the stool is up here. But um, let me go ahead and just say it, happy 4th of July. Even though Vernon has enlightened us that everybody celebrates 4th of July, it's just us in America think differently of it. And uh, we, we really, really do want to begin a journey this weekend that's going to continue for a number of weeks. Uh, and how appropriate to begin this weekend, yes, we're celebrating freedom as a nation, but as we all know, just because we're free in terms of our government, our people, and our nation does not mean that we're necessarily free personally. And as many of our friends who are incarcerated and are watching with us right now online, uh, many have taught me over the years, just because you're in a literal prison doesn't mean you can't be free in terms of your humanity. And so, and as Christopher modeled for us, our freedom is not dictated by our circumstances or even our physical capacities. We have been freed in the gospel for a very distinct purpose. And it's not just for us, but it's to be a people who are free to fulfill his purposes. And so this weekend, we're beginning a journey that we're calling Church Everywhere. We've already been doing it for a number of months, but we're gonna focus distinctly on what does that look like. And on this weekend, we're gonna start with the fact that we've all been freed for a purpose. A lot of people think freedom is being able to do everything and anything you want to do whenever you want to do it. If that's the case, then all of a sudden, you don't have freedom, you have chaos. And you have people that are all of a sudden thinking they're going down a wonderful path, but it's like taking a, uh, a swan dive into a concrete swimming pool with no water. They think, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. And then they experience the uh, very painful and imprisoning consequences. Frederick Beekner wrote a while back, to obey, for a person to obey his strongest appetites for drink, sex, power, revenge, or whatever, leaves him the freedom of an animal to take what he wants when he wants it, but not the freedom of a man to be human. True freedom is not us doing whatever we want whenever we want, but true freedom is us being able to be who we were designed to be under the leadership of the one who created us. And the gospel is centered around restoring that freedom to be who God has made us to be. That's why Christ came. 
And you start reading in the, in, in the Gospels over and over and then in the epistles that we're called to freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 18. We're just going to take a quick review of some of what the New Testament says. Here we go. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now we're being transformed into his likeness, he says. Paul is writing to a church in a place called Corinth that was taking the same counterfeit freedom to its ultimate lengths and ends as our culture is today. They were saying, hey, if you really want to be fulfilled, anything goes. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not true freedom. That's actually leading you deeper into imprisonment and slavery in terms of your humanity. True freedom is us being transformed into his likeness. The Greek word there is icon, into the root is icon, image. We're being transformed into his image. What freedom looks like is us being restored to fully image God, and we don't do that just as individuals. In Genesis, we're told that God created us in his image, male and female. So we image God as community. So it's this new humanity that's being authored, that's being produced by the gospel. We become like Jesus. Yes, you individually, yes, you individually, but more powerfully us as a community. And in a city that's broken and reeling from what we've experienced these past few weeks, for the city to see Jesus is not just to see us as individuals, but to see the church together as a community free because that's why Jesus came. Hear what he says when he basically is announcing the fact that he's Messiah. Luke chapter 4 verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began, he began his homily, his sermon, his teaching, by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I've come to set the prisoner free. I've come to set men and women who are in bondage, whose humanity is muffled and stifled and pinned down. He says, I've come to restore that which was originally intended, which is why throughout the epistles you see over and over and over this notion of freedom. But it also was present in Jesus' teaching, John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then Paul, a couple of times in Galatians, first in chapter 5, verse 1, and then in verse 13, he says this. In verse 1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What do you think that means? I think it probably means it's for freedom that Christ set us free. In verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. First Peter 
chapter 2, verse 16. He says, live as free people. So are you getting a theme here? Something tells me the gospel is not just in an ancillary way, but it centrally deals with the issue of our freedom as human beings living to the glory of God. And so as we begin this series called Church Everywhere, we're going to talk about the fact that we've been freed, and we've been freed to be the church. And we'll unpack what that church looks like in these next few weeks. But we first need to establish what does the freedom look like? What does this journey of freedom look like? And what, what I'm going to do is kind of look at four ingredients. So let me mention them to you real, real quick. If I'm going to embark on a journey of freedom, and if we're going to embark on a journey of freedom, it first involves the reality of our imprisonment, the reality of, of being anything but free. And I need to acknowledge that, confess that, and embrace the consequence of my sin. Then I need to be released. It's not something I can do. It's only something that can be done for me. But once I'm released does not mean I'll start experiencing freedom. There's a difference between my status and my experience. As status, I can be free, but in my experience, I can be doing anything but experiencing that freedom. So the third ingredient is I've got to resolve to taste that freedom. And it's a daily decision of what some people might say is ironically obedience. We don't think of obedience as being something that's uh, freedom inducing, but it is. Then fourth, once I learn the rhythm of those first three, I start relishing my freedom. And I do it with you. And you see this experienced and um, illustrated in a number of contexts. A couple of years ago, I read uh, a fascinating book called Ghost Soldiers by a guy named Hampton Sides. And it's about a heroic rescue during World War II. It's really focused in on the night, uh, one of the, uh, the night of January the 30th, 1945, at a prison camp called Cabanatuan in the Philippines where over 500 POWs, prisoners of war, mostly Americans, were rescued by 121 elite army rangers and Alamo scouts. And what was fascinating, not just the, 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 this dramatic rescue that took place, it was also made into a movie called The Great Escape, by the way. What fascinated me is not just that they rescued them, but the dialogue that had to go on to convince these guys to be rescued. So remembering those four ingredients, these guys had experienced, many of them were the victims of the Bataan Death March. So they had been in prison. They knew the reality of their imprisonment. Then came the release that night, but it wasn't over. They had to resolve to act as free men. And it was, what was fascinating is so many of these rescuers were having to convince the guys, step out of here. You can step out, you're now a free man. You now can leave. And then they began to relish it to the point that as tired as they were, they did another march for 25 miles to their ship to take them home. And one of the prisoners wrote later, he says, it, it too, just like the Bataan Death March, it too was a long, slow, steady march. But this one was a march of life. It was a march of freedom. So now let's take it from 1945 to right now in your journey and in mine. What's that journey of freedom look like? Same four ingredients. Let's go through them one at a time a little bit more slowly. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this prison cell or not, um, but just in case you hadn't, I want this to be up here as a reminder of the condition that you and I are in the day that we are born. 
It's the reality of our imprisonment. And for me to embark on a journey of freedom, I have first got to own up to the fact that my imprisonment is a reality. This is a prison cell I'm born into, and I'm going to call it a prison cell of death. The reason I use the word death is because that's what the scriptures talk about. You see, God's word does not, uh, it tells us that we don't just determine whether we're, we're alive or not by whether our hearts are beating and our lungs are breathing. There's something far more deeper than just our physical life or death. It's the life of our humanity. It's deep down within our spirits. And what Christ has come to do is bring us from death to life. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam, and through him death through that sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. This is a prison cell of death. Hebrews chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, let's acknowledge something. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. So I'm born into this prison cell of death. Doesn't mean that I'm not still in the image of God. We're all Imago Dei in the image of God. We're all created in His image. We're all capable of creating and working and laughing and playing and relating. We're just doing it all in this prison cell. So it's all muffled. It's muted. Everything we do is cloaked with some characteristics of death. Let me give you a few descriptors. Aimlessness is something that we're all born with. Guilt is something we all encounter. Shame, restlessness, confusion. This, this prison cell of death involves despair as well and superficiality and aloneness. Now the way that we deal with it is distractions. We fill our prison cell, we decorate it. I mean, you decorate your prison cell a little bit differently than I've decorated mine, but we decorate it to get by. We decorate it with degrees, you know, from various schools, with titles, with trinkets, uh, with, with finances, with a bank account, with vacations, with fun fixes. We actually will shuffle our prison cell over next to other people. And the deal is, the, the vast majority of people live never knowing they're in a prison cell of death because everyone's in the same kind of prison cell. So we've just come to accept it. But in those moments, those haunting moments when we're alone, uh, maybe something happens and we start being reflective about who we are as human beings. All of a sudden that, that aimlessness or maybe it's guilt or maybe it's shame or maybe it's that restlessness or that confusion or despair or that superficiality or maybe a sense of just aloneness, it, it creeps up on us. And we try to open the door and say, I don't, I don't want to be here. And it won't. It doesn't open. Now, some of us opt for saying, okay, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to kill the pain. 
I'm going to distract myself a little bit more. I'm going to just pretend that I'm not experiencing all those things. I just say everybody does, nothing we can do about it. Others of us try to open the door, but it just doesn't, doesn't budge. I, as Nolan mentioned at the beginning of the service, I am kind of tall. And that does not uh, fare well when I'm flying in airplanes. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but airplanes are not made for people who are six foot five. So if you ever want to see me on an airplane, you wonder if I'm on the same plane as you, just look, and my head will be way above, and the headrest will be hitting me in the shoulder blades. So uh, part of how, how I survived that, thankfully I fly enough that I can get an exit row uh, every time I fly, and that it, my, my upper torso might not be comfortable, but at least my legs are. And uh, one little secret a lot of people don't know, if you're sitting on an airplane, on a flight, and you're in the row in front of the exit row, your seat is not going to recline because they don't want to block the exit row. And so I always kind of get this weird uh, sense of entertainment from people who sit sitting in the row in front of me uh, is they're trying to make their seat reclined. You know, they push the little button and they lean back. And then I'll, I'll watch them. It's usually very early in the flight, and then they'll try again. It's fascinating to see how people deal with it. Some people try a couple of times uh, into no avail. Other people try uh, a couple of times, and then they just get very, very, very energetic. Other people shrug their shoulders. Some people try and try and try. A couple of days ago, I was on a flight. The guy in front of me tried to make his seat recline for an hour. He was banging it over and over. And I wanted to say, dude, it is not going to recline. I don't care how much you try. or bang. It, it, It's funny when it happens on a plane. It's just not funny when it happens with our humanity, where we're trying to open this prison cell door of death, and it just won't open. So we've got to engage with the second ingredient of this journey of freedom, and it's this. It's called release. And the only way that I can be released from this prison cell is somebody else has got to do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, brilliant German theologian, back during World War II, was imprisoned in a Nazi prison camp, and guards, sympathetic guards, would smuggle out his letters. In one of his letters, he was writing it at Christmas time, and he wrote this. He said, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent, meaning the coming of Christ. He said, one waits and hopes and does this or that, ultimately negligible things, you know, we're trying to decorate our cell or figure out a way to kill the pain. He says, but the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. That's the gospel. Jesus is the one who opens the prison cell of my death. But it's not a prison break. He doesn't come storming in with some dynamite. He actually comes and he pays my death sentence for me. Because you see, this prison cell is a consequence of my rebelliousness against God. My, my, my tendency to say, God, I know best how to live my life. I know best what will fulfill me. And so we rebel against him and that sin incurs a penalty of death. It's just a consequence of me turning my back on God. What Christ has come to do is to pay the sentence that it was otherwise take me eternity to pay. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God 
has demonstrated his love. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, still in our prison cell of death, Christ died for us. You know, the power of what Jesus did on the cross, it was not a martyr's death where he was just showing how sorry he felt for us. There was a substitutionary act of love. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but we do see Jesus who is made lower than the angels for a little while. But he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. John Owen, the brilliant Puritan theologian, wrote a treatise on what Jesus did on the cross, and he entitled it, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. He's come, and he's taken my penalty for me. Ephesians 2, verse 1, we read it a minute ago. You and I, dead in our trespasses and sins. Then in verse 4, he says, but because of his great love for us. He says, I want, I want, to, I want to finish what I started with you. And your rebellion is not going to get in the way. I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to recover you. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. You say, this sounds too good to be true. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called the gospel. And that's why Jesus says in John 8, he says, if you're imprisoned, nothing you can do. But if the sun sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I want to say something to you. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. So anybody who's in their prison cell of death, going through their life's motions, says, I'm done. I can't open it. I want you to open it. He says, who believes in me, puts their trust in my work on the cross on their behalf, trusts that I'm paying their sentence for them. He says, let me tell you what happens. At that moment, they have eternal life and will not be judged. That person has crossed over from death to life. Crossed over from all those characteristics of death to this realm of life. Crossed over from aimlessness to purpose. From guilt to forgiveness. From this realm of shame to a realm of acceptance. From a realm of restlessness to a realm of shalom. For me doing my life in a, in a stage of confusion to me beginning to live my life under the light of truth. For me being suffocated by despair to breathing the fresh air of hope. For me being stifled by going through the motions to a rhythm of superficiality, to moving out to the music of significance and seeing that my life matters. From aloneness, no matter how many people I surround myself with, to tasting what true love really is. That's the gospel. 
Now, as I'm going through those characteristics, and there are a lot more, let's go ahead and be honest. There are a lot of those. Even if you've, you've come to that point where you said, I, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I, I trust him. I've asked him to, to credit his work on the cross towards my indebtedness before God, to pay my, my sentence of death. I've done that. I, I'm in Christ, but I'm not experiencing all of those things, which is why we need to move to that third ingredient in the journey of freedom. And it's a daily decision I've got to make because there are plenty of days I don't experience all those, but I've grown enough to know if I'm not, it's because there's a breakdown in that third ingredient. It's that ingredient to resolve to live free. On a daily basis, I need to resolve to do my life out here in the realm of life. It's a choice. Now, my status is irrevocable in Christ. I am free. But whether I'm going to live free and experience that freedom is a daily choice in which I need to resolve to be free. Galatians chapter 5. This is why Paul makes it real clear. He says he makes an exhortation. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It doesn't end there. That's the indicative. What's indicative of you and me in the gospel? We've been set free. But then he gives an imperative, which often happens in the epistles. He says, on the basis of that, stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is a, a choice that I make on a daily basis. You know what it looks like? It looks like obedience. A lot, of people, a lot of us don't think obedience and freedom in the same sentence, but the scriptures say it's all over the place because when I obey, I'm not referring to legalistic, weird, religious obedience. I'm talking about the life-giving obedience that God speaks into my journey to say, you want to live? Then this is where to walk. Yes, some of you have been in Christ for a long time, and maybe a verse that God used in your relationship with Jesus was Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You seen that verse before? Okay. A lot of people think that's a salvation verse. It is, of course. But then they make the mistake of saying it's just that. It's just about heaven and hell. Is it about heaven and hell? Sure, but it's not only about that. In fact, its original context is something very different. Paul is talking to a person and he's really writing almost as an attorney, giving a defense of the gospel. And he's bringing up a very common objection and question that we all have if we're in Christ. And the question is this. If I'm forgiven past, present, and future then why not go ahead and sin? I mean, teenagers will ask this outright. Adults think it, but we just don't say it. In other words, if I'm forgiven past, present, and future, why not just go ahead and sin? That's what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 6. If grace abounds, when sin abounds, why not sin more so you can experience more grace? So he gives a defense of that, an argument why. Basically, he is saying in a fundamental sense, this is why, even though you're forgiven, you shouldn't sin. And he culminates his argument with chapter 6, verse 23. Show it again. For the wages of sin is death. This is why. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
He's not saying I'll lose my salvation, but he's saying this. Hey, if I'm going along and, and, and I sin as, as, as a follower of Jesus, one thing I need to know is that if I sin, I'm going to go back into this prison cell because the wages of sin is death. I don't lose my salvation, but I go back into this realm of death. By the way, my prison cell looks a lot prettier from the outside. It's very attractive from out here. Oh, this is maybe what will fulfill me in this particular moment. So I think I'm going to sin. And so I do. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm back in this realm of death. That's why as a follower of Jesus, I can experience aimlessness and guilt and shame and confusion and restlessness and despair. That's why I experience all of those things. Now, I've not lost my salvation. And here is something that is powerful for you and me to realize. This door, because Christ has unlocked it, it will never be locked again. Now, there are times that as a follower of Jesus, we think, I'm in here, I've sinned one too many times, I'm done. This door is locked. It's never locked. And confession and beginning again, and the more mature I become in Christ, the less time I'll spend in my prison cell of death. But there's a fourth ingredient. It's what's going to launch us into this next month and a half together. And it's this. Not only must I embrace in confession and humility the reality of my sin and my prison cell of death. Not, must, not only must I embrace the gospel and the release that only Jesus can give me from this prison cell of death. Not only must I resolve on a daily basis to obey and to walk in this realm of freedom. But as I learn the rhythm of that, then I begin to relish this dance of freedom. To relish it. How do I do that? With you. Let me tell you something about freedom. It is not autonomy. Freedom is not being autonomous and not cared about anyone else. That's impossible unless I'm alone on this planet. Freedom has everything about to do with relating with one another in an environment of freedom. I wasn't set free alone. I was set free along with a lot of other people, including you. Uh, you know, we thought about putting about 30 or 40 prison cells up here, but it might have been a little bit overwhelming. But that's the picture of the church. We've all been set free. Some of you are not yet in Christ. You're in a prison cell. And the beauty is you're in a place where the rest of us, we've been right there. We don't have the key, but we know the one who does. And those of us who have been released from prison, absolutely. But those of us who have been released from our prison cell of death, we realize we're not alone. I look over here. I don't just look over at, you know, there's Vernon and Michelle there and Tim and uh, Lori over here said, hey guys, you've been set free too. Cool. See you later. No, it's okay. We've been set free to begin to interact together as free men and women. My freedom is not just for me. Go back to that text in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. In other words, don't use your freedom just for your own selfish purposes. 
Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So bottom line, freedom is meant to be experienced in the context of community, in the context of church. Not a building, but a people. And ironically and tragically, and it's part of the enemy strategy, is there an institution out there that, that could more uh, powerfully convey the opposite of freedom than institutionalized religion? Sadly, so many people, that's the last place they think of when they hear the word freedom. Freedom? Church. You kidding me? Man, it took me a long time. I grew up in a church that messed me up, some people might say. And I had to get out of church to get free. That's not church. That's a building. That's an institution. It is not the living, breathing, pulsating body of Christ that's been set free. And so... The privilege that you and I have is to figure out the difference between that and to understand this is to be a place of freedom. I've got friends who've been incarcerated for years. They've taught me much about true freedom. In fact, there are three guys that we worked with at a church that I was uh, at in Colorado. And their names are Chuck and Howie and Carlito. I got to know each of them in prison. And over time, at different points, they were released from prison. Uh, a couple of them, I mean, all of them for a long time. One, over 20 years. And they came on our staff at church. And one night we were sitting around after a service of some sort. And we're, and we're talking. And this is after they had had some time in freedom, in terms of not being behind bars, literally. But they had come to Christ in prison. And so they were looking forward to being in a church outside of prison. And they were being disappointed because they started, one of them said this, and I'll never forget it. He says, you know, it's really tough to see people who are in prison and church at the same time. They haven't tasted freedom. It's so tough seeing somebody who's in church and in prison at the same time. And God has called us to be free as the church, to be the church. Here's something else about freedom that's important to remember. I'm not just freed in a vacuum to kind of do my own thing. I'm freed to something. And we're freed to be a people of freedom. We're freed to be the church. We're freed to relish that freedom together. And so over this next month and a half, we're going to look at what that freedom looks like. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. A primary evidence of me experiencing not death but life is going to be when I'm in relationship and in community. I want you to do a favor for me. Take this worship guide out. What this does is provide a roadmap of freedom. Not just you and me just doing our little freedom thing alone. No, we're freed to, not just from, we're freed to engage with one another as a community of freedom. And that's not just something that happens for an hour or so on a Sunday morning. It happens all the time, everywhere. So that's why we're calling this series, 
church everywhere. We've been on this journey for a while. We're going to hunker down and really unpack this together. And what you see on this front part of your worship guide are six characteristics of a people who are embracing their freedom to be the church everywhere. Each week, we're going to look at one of these in order. Next week, I'll be talking about embracing the mission. This is for you and me and those groups of 5, 10, 15, 30, 40 people that we engage with. We can call them our distributed churches, our personal churches, uh, uh, home groups, small groups. Uh, you call it whatever you want, but it's a smaller group of people. This is just one aspect of church, large group. But there's another aspect where we're distributed every day, everywhere, in so many environments. To do what? To together embrace the freedom of having a mission. It is churches, not just about us looking at people up front doing church. It's about us realizing we are each called to be free together and be the church together. The next week I'll be looking at the privilege that we've got to follow Jesus, to get, follow Jesus together. That's an everyday sort of thing. It's not just on Sundays. It's in all sorts of contexts. The next week we'll be looking at including the unincluded. A powerful part of being a free people is, yes, coming alongside those who are still in locked prison cells saying, you can be free, but not doing it in a judgmental, judgmental, judgmental way or punitive way uh, or condescending, but say, listen, I, I know what that's like. Here's, here's the key. It's Jesus. Another part of addressing people that are unincluded is men and women that are our brothers and sisters in Christ but they've gone back into this prison cell. In fact, you get a group of 15, 20 people uh, who are followers of Jesus at any one time, one of them is in this prison cell, meaning they've got some sin they're struggling with. And they need a community to, to be cheerleaders and say, not to judge them, but to say, hey, the door's not locked. Come on back out and let's start moving in freedom together. The next week, we'll look at encouraging each other's contributions. All of us have gifts to bring to the table. The next week, we'll be talking about loving one another. It's the epitome of freedom as the church. And the last, we'll be talking about engaging the sacred practices as the church everywhere. We don't just engage the sacred practices in a building. So I want to commission you for us to pray together and do it in a responsive way. Would you stand right now? Now let me pray over you and then I want you to respond and we'll be praying together as this community of men and women who've been set free. Lord Jesus, you've laid down your life that we would be set free. And all of you, to be the church everywhere embrace the mission. You've laid down your life, Lord Jesus, that we would be set free, let's hear all of you, to be the church everywhere and follow Jesus together. You've laid down your life that we would be set free to be the church everywhere and encourage each other's contribution. You've laid down your life that we would be set free to be the church everywhere and include the unincluded. You've laid down your life, Lord Jesus, to, that we would be set free to be the church everywhere and love one another. 
You've laid down your life that we would be set free to be the church everywhere and engage the sacred practices. Lord Jesus, you've laid down your life that we would be set free to be the church everywhere and embrace our calling to be free. Not using our freedom to indulge the flesh, but instead to serve one another humbly in love. That's our calling. And that's the journey and the privilege that we have together. Some of you, before you go, need to pray with somebody about praying. Maybe you want, you're, you're in prison, you want to get back out. Maybe you've never come to Christ for the first time, or maybe you have, but just know somebody you'd like to pray with you uh, about something you're struggling with. Come on down front. Others of you need to find out who we are. Is this uh, kingdom community of free men and women. Go back to the hub. Others of you need to meet a free young man. Uh, up close and Christopher and his mom are going to be back there and now may the rest of you go go back into your journeys as free men and women and do that dance of freedom together to the glory of Jesus amen and amen